Well, today we are continuing uh, in our study of uh, Genesis, and uh, we've come to a chapter. This is one of those chapters that this is the reason why to teach and preach through books of the Bible, because it would be an unusual occasion to choose this chapter uh, to, to talk about, right? It's not pleasant at all. There's nothing pleasant in this chapter. Even when you come to the end of it, there's not, it doesn't get like wrapped up with a nice little moral lesson, okay? Uh, can you believe it? Wow. Uh, uh, so it's chapter 34 of Genesis. Uh, and uh, we see here, we need to know where we're coming from and where we're going. It's important to know what happens before this chapter and what happens after this chapter to sort of appreciate what's, what's happening in it. Because on some level, you could say, if you just look at this chapter, you say, why is it even here? What does it have to do with the big story? Well, everything has to do with the big story. In the very same way that every single thing in our lives, every single thing in our lives has to do with, the, with our big story. You know, everything is connected. All the, the events uh, that lead us to do things, that lead us out of things, that bring us to different places... It's all connected uh, and, and part of our story. So this is part of Jacob's story, part of Israel's story. Uh, and, uh, and so therefore, and for a number of other reasons, it's significant. So Jacob has now returned uh, from Padanaram. He's returned, right? And uh, he has wives, children. Uh, he's wrestled. He's, he's walking in pain. Uh, in his wrestling with the Lord, you know, in, in returning. And he's supposed to go to Bethel, to where he had been before, right? So we see what happens is God gives him the blessing. And remember we said, we said it a couple weeks ago, and I think we mentioned it last week, that the blessing is that God would be with him now for the rest of his life. And, and, and he receives a blessing. He receives the promise of a new name, he doesn't quite get it yet. He doesn't get the new name yet. That's coming. But he's, uh, he receives the promise of a new name, Israel, this destiny uh, that he has, uh, and uh, clearly that God uh, would clearly be with him. And we see the first thing that happens is a great, wonderful favor of God on him, right? His reconciliation with Esau. Wow, that's great. You know, uh, and uh, and so we see. Wow! So he's wrestled. He's had like this, uh, uh, perhaps some form of transformation. He already knew the Lord, but there are moments in, in in our lives where we have some kind of interaction with God, and we have a little bit of a new worldview. But uh, but remember this: there is no one event, no one event in Jacob's life, no one event in our lives, which is like the magic the magic pill. You know. Like, you know, like, talk about getting immersed, for example. When I get immersed and I come up out of the water, is everything now, am I like now on spiritual easy street? You know, not worldly easy street, that never, but, but like now I'm going to be, you know, I am on top of the world with Yeshua. And that's just, no, it's, it's another moment. It's a moment in our lives that moves us forward, you know, in our walk with him. But we can never live on yesterday's blessings, Right. We can't live on what happened yesterday. Every day we need to be in the Word of God. Every day we need to be walking with Him, praying, and so on and so forth. So Jacob had this great experience and then this great reconciliation with, with Esau. Now, 
after chapter 34, okay, uh, God, the first thing God says to Jacob is now, arise, go up to Bethel and live there and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. It would be perfect if there was no chapter 34. Okay, you're reconciled to uh, Esau. Esau goes his way, you go your way. Now go to Bethel, you know, and uh, now you're going to receive this new name. That's in chapter 35 where he actually receives this, uh, the name Israel. He's promised the name Israel uh, in chapter 32. It's not until chapter 35 where he has it. And then, uh, and there we go, okay? In fact, in the big picture of Genesis, What's actually happening, happening is, in chapter 35, is really the end of the story of Jacob, Jacob and Esau, and Jacob returning to the land. And then what you have is a genealogy of Jacob's children and Esau's children. And then Joseph, and then the whole story of Joseph, okay? So... <clears throat> So what is with chapter 34? Some of you may be saying, so what is it? What's even in it? I don't even know, right? Okay, so we're going to read it. We're not going to read every verse, but we're going to understand it. It is the story, the sad, horrible story of Dina and how uh, everybody in the story, no one, no one is acceptable in this story. Uh, I guess you could say except Dina, who never speaks in the story. So there's a lot, there's a lot here. And this is the kind of chapter that, People can read different ways depending on, depending on where you're at, so to speak. Uh, and, uh, but it is important for us, uh, for us today to understand Dina, the story of Dina in the big picture, and uh, what we get out of this, what we get out of this chapter. Okay, so now Dina, the daughter of Leah. Now that's really important right away. Okay, the daughter of Leah. Doesn't say the daughter of Jacob here, right? Of course she's the daughter of Jacob. Yes, she's the daughter of Jacob. But it's important for us to understand who her mother is. This plays a big role in, this, in the family, whose mother's who. And this will really come out in the story of Joseph, okay? But we see it here, okay? Dina, the daughter of Leah. Not, so not the daughter of Rachel, nor Bilhah or uh, Zilpah. Okay, now Dina, the daughter of Leah, whom she had born to Jacob, went out to visit the daughters of the land. Okay, uh, and when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, the prince of the land, now the prince of the land is not the ruler of the land. Okay, so Shechem is the son of Hamor. Okay, uh, Hamor is sort of the overseer of the land. But this land it, uh, is, is very uh, politically complicated, okay? There are lots of peoples, and, and so Hamor was per, perhaps, most likely, the most prominent leader of all of the subgroups uh, in, uh, in Canaan, okay? The sons of Jacob are sort of a small, a much, a small entity in this larger conglomerate of uh, peoples. And uh, Hamor uh, and his son Shechem, though, are the big cheeses, uh, you know, in this, in this place. Okay? So when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, he took her 
and he lay with her by force. Okay, so when you read this in Hebrew, even the way it's written, uh, you know, is uh, is kind of dramatic. Okay, when it says what it what he did, it says vayikach ota vayishkav ota vayaneha, and so he took her, he lay with her, and he. You could say, uh, in its nicest form, he humbled her, but he raped her. Uh, it's used almost always of despicable acts. And it's, it's, I'm not going to turn to all of them now, but, but there's a number of them. Okay, So it's quite clear uh, that, uh, that this is what happened. Okay? These three terms are very important for us to understand, right? So it's a horrible thing that here that has happened. Okay, now uh, it's interesting that in verse three you have three other terms. Okay, that uh, uh, from the point of view of uh, of Shechem, he says we see here, and he was deeply attracted to Dina, and he loved the girl and spoke tenderly to her. Okay. But we see what he did. He took her, he lay with her, and he raped her. He's attracted to her, he loves her, he speaks tenderly to her, right? And so what you see here is this powerful guy, from his point of view, it's all good, right? But we see from the narrator's point of view, this is all bad, right? Okay. So we're supposed to understand that. We're supposed to understand from the way it's written that she was violated, she was raped, but Shechem wants her, right? So Shechem spoke to his father, Hamor, get me this young girl for a wife. Isn't it interesting? Get me. So he took her, and now he says to his father, get her, all right? All right. Now Jacob heard that he had, he had defiled Dina, okay? So we see quite clearly that she's defiled. Defiled means she's unclean. Defiled in this context is not just unclean, but this terrible thing has happened to her. She has not defiled herself, right? She has been defiled. But his sons were with his livestock in the field, so Jacob kept silent until they came in. Then Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to, uh, uh, to speak with him. Okay? Now, so as we'll see, we kind of have to wait to the end. So Jacob doesn't speak up, right? We would say it's not acceptable. Jacob doesn't speak up. Everybody is disappointing in this. Right? We would say, well, Jacob should have spoke up. But we could then say, we don't know. Was Jacob simply waiting for his sons because he knew his sons were going to do something? Right? But then we see later on that he doesn't like what happens. But he knows what's going to happen, but he doesn't like what's going to happen. So this is, there's a lot of ambiguity in this. Uh, and uh, Jacob, uh, for the, the first person here to respond, doesn't respond. Okay, all right. Then Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak. 
Now the sons of Jacob came in from the field when they heard it, and the men were grieved, and they were very angry because he had done a disgraceful, despicable thing. This is a very, very strong word. Uh, there's also a number of places where this word, this is a very strong word of, hor- of horrific detail, okay? A disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter. For such a thing ought not to be done, interestingly enough, period. It doesn't say ought not to be done in Israel, just ought not to be done, okay? So this is a horrible thing, uh, in the, even in this culture, uh, even within the Canaanite culture, in the Israelite culture, this is a horrible thing. Now what's interesting, if you, I'm going to read this quickly, but we're going to notice something just in the tenor of it. So Hamor speaks with them. So he's talking to Jacob and his sons. The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him in marriage and intermarry with us. Give your daughters to us and take our daughters for yourselves. Thus you shall live with us and the land shall be open before you. Live and trade in it and acquire property in it. Shechem also said to her father and to her brothers, If I find favor in your sight, then I will give whatever you say to me. Ask me ever so much bridal payment and gift. You name it, Jacob and your sons. You name it. Okay? And I will give according as you say to me, but give me the girl in marriage. Okay. There's something pretty dramatic that's missing. That's missing in everything that Hamor is saying to Jacob and his sons. It's as if nothing happened. It's like nothing took place. It's like, hey, you know, uh, my son, he likes your daughter. Uh, he likes your daughter. So what do you say we make a deal? You know, which was kind of a normal thing in, at, at that time. But here, quite obviously, we know what has taken place. She's been violated, right? Hamor never acknowledges it. There's no repentance. There's no remorse. There's no nothing other than let's make a deal, right? So certainly Hamor also is, is terrible in this. No recognition that something has happened. Okay? Jacob recognizes something has happened. He doesn't speak up. He waits for his sons. But still, nothing, nothing is taking place here. Right? All right. Now, now Jacob's sons speak. Jacob's sons answered Shechem and his, and his father, Hamor, with deceit. And spoke to them because he had defiled Dina, their sister. Now, this is also very interesting that this comes up again. Dina is identified as the daughter of Leah and the sister of Levi and, and Simeon, okay, in this, uh, in this chapter. Okay? So, uh, uh, quite clearly, uh, the sons, especially the sons of Leah, feel a particular disgust and desire for revenge upon them, okay? In reading this, as the reader, we find ourselves sympathizing with the sons of Leah. Who's going to do something about this, right? Okay. Jacob's sons answered uh, Shechem and uh, the father uh, Hamor with deceit, spoke to them because he had defiled Dina, their sister. So we're tipped off, right? That, that what uh, the sons are going to say 
is a ruse. They said to them, we cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised. In other words, the issue is uh, the intermarriage. Uh, and so therefore, uh, all of the males uh, need to be circumcised. And, uh, and then, we can, uh, then we can think about it. That would be a disgrace to us. Only on this condition will we consent to you. If you will become like us, that every male of you be circumcised. Then we will give our daughters to you, and we will take your daughters for ourselves. And we will live with you and become one people. Now that in and of itself would be horrific, right? That would be horrific. What, what they're saying, right, if they were serious, that would be, you know, sin upon sin. It would be hard. This is something that the uh, sons of Jacob were never to entertain, right? Okay. But if you will not listen to us to be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and go. Now that, now we get another little piece of information. What is that little piece of information? That is that Dina is currently in the house of Hamor and Shechem. She's not with the, her brothers. She's with them, okay? So if you put yourself in their shoes, we're, it's, it's like ransom. It's like we, we, not only has she been violated, not only has she been raped, but, but she's still with them, and we can't get her back. Okay. Again, this is no picnic, this chapter. Now, they were evidently very convincing. Now, their words seemed reasonable to Hamor and Shechem, Hamor's son. And the young man did not delay to do the thing because he was delighted with Jacob's daughter. Now he was more respected than all the household of his father. So we see that Shechem was a rising star. So Hamor and his son Shechem came to the gate of their city and spoke to the men of their city. Now this is also very interesting. They have to convince the men of the city to do this. These men are friendly with us. Therefore, let them live in the land and trade in it. For behold, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters in marriage and give our daughters to them. Only on this condition will the men consent with us to live with us and become one people, that every male among us be circumcised as they are circumcised. Will not their livestock and their property and all their animals be ours? Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. We don't read that in the, conversa in the previous conversation. So what they're doing is they're working both ends here. They are lying to convince, uh, you know, they're, they're, taking, they're doing whatever it takes to convince the men of the city to be circumcised, and that would take some convincing, right? Only let us consent to them, and they will live with us. And all who went out of the gate of his city listened to Hamor and his son Shechem, and every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate of the city. So, Okay, looks like this is, what's, uh, this is what's happening. Now, it came about on the third day when they were in pain, okay, that two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dina's brothers, notice the emphasis, Dina's brothers, each took his sword and came upon the city unawares and killed every male, okay? And they killed Hamor and his son Shechem with the edge of the sword and took Dina from Shechem's house, see? And, and went forth. Jacob's sons came upon the slain and looted the city 
because they had defiled their sister. Now, we don't know if this is all the other sons or the other sons of Leah, uh, but the point is, is then the others came and looted the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their flocks and their herds and their donkeys, that which was in the city, that which was in the field, and they captured and looted all their wealth and all their little ones and their wives, even all that was in the houses. Okay. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you've brought trouble on me by making me odious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. See, the, all, the, the, whole, the whole land. And my men being few in number, they will gather together against me and attack me, and I shall be destroyed, I and my household, which is the children of Israel. Okay. But they said, should he treat our sister as a harlot? Okay. And so we see what, uh, what takes place. Uh, the brothers uh, uh, concoct a plan to get revenge. To get revenge, right? Uh, and what they end up doing is killing all the men, not just Shechem and Hamor, but all the men. And then the other sons come and loot the city and take what they want and do whatever, do whatever is right in their own eyes because of their anger over the defilement of Dina, okay? So when, when you read this, we would say, oh, yeah, well, there you go. You know, that uh, that's what's supposed to happen uh, in a situation like that. But according to the text, according to the Bible, everybody's got a problem here, okay? Chamor and Shechem, needless to say, don't own up to anything. They're trying to make a deal I, I, Jacob is passive I, in the whole thing, although at the end what he's trying to say is, oh no, this could be the end of us, right? But yet, that doesn't let him off the hook. He's passive. He doesn't, uh, uh, he's not aggressive. He doesn't say anything uh, about it, uh, according to the text. The sons, they say plenty, but it's overkill. They kill everybody. They kill all the men. And, and, uh, and then the, the city is looted. It doesn't it sound kind of like today's headlines a little bit? Uh, on, on a number of levels, right? Uh, because there's no justice here. Uh, there's no fairness here. And we need to get them back. We need to make them pay the price. The whole city, because they're all, you know, this is what they're all about. And, and uh uh, and this is what we need to do. Now, we do read later on, we do have a, um, a point of view of the Lord in this. I, I would say, even though Jacob is saying the words, uh, and it's in um, Genesis chapter 49. If you go to Genesis chapter 49, I'll start in the first verse. Then Jacob summoned his sons and said, Assemble yourselves that I may tell you what shall before you, befall you in the days to come. Gather together and hear, O sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the beginning of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Uncontrolled as water, you shall not have preeminence, because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. Right? We know that what happened there, right? With Bilhah. And he went, up, uh, uh, he went up to my couch. Now, okay, that we get. And then, and by the way, then if you jump to verse 8, that's Judah. 
Judah, the great messianic promise of, of Judah. But in between uh, Ruvain and Judah, we have Simeon and Levi. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are implements of violence. Let my soul not enter into their council, nor let my glory be united with their assembly, because in their anger they slew men, and in their self-will they lamed oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will disperse them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. So the point here is, is that in the pecking order of who's going to uh, mediate the messianic promise, sons one, two, and three are uh, eliminated. And quite clearly, in verses five to seven, Simeon and Levi are disqualified because of what took place here. So we see that while their anger is understandable, clearly, you know, the anger is understandable, their they're, they're, uh, boiling over is understandable, we see that uh, according to the text, that it was overkill. And so what do we get out of this? What do we get out of this? Jacob doesn't speak up. The sons kill all the, kill all the men. They get their sister back, but they kill everybody. We read a, a, a biblical commentary on it in uh, chapter 49. And what is interesting is the last verse. You have a rhetorical question in the last verse. It's, it's not answered, you know? In other words, they say, should we treat our sister as a harlot? In other words, well, what, what are we supposed to do? And so what we see here is this horrible thing that takes place in Jacob's family. We see that there is a looming dissension in the family, right? It's not resolved. There's not a resolution in this chapter between everybody, between Simeon and Levi and their father, and, or between uh, all the brothers, uh, or uh, uh, between... Uh, uh, the, uh, you know, the inhabitants of the surrounding places. Although uh, we do see that Dina uh, does, uh, does return. So, and then we don't read uh, 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 about Dina uh, again, okay? Okay, so wow, this is one of those chapters. It doesn't seem to, it's not great preaching material, uh, you, you know, you don't have this moral lesson. Uh, uh, and, you know, it's, it's interesting. We see here, uh, much like in our world, you, you have all ambiguity. Uh, uh, you have something horrible happens. People respond in all kinds of ways. There's some truth all the way around. Uh, what do we make of it? Uh, uh, what are we supposed to do? Uh, how do we, uh, what if I was there? Uh, uh, how do we handle this? What do we get out, out of this? Okay, all right. So there's, what we see here is that there doesn't seem to be justice here in a way that uh, God uh, prescribes, Okay. So, uh, you know, it's interesting that our Torah portion for this week is about the, uh, when you enter the land, establish judges, establish magistrates, uh, establish a rule of, uh, of order uh, in the land. 
here, clearly, there uh, doesn't seem uh, 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 to be rule, a rule of justice uh, here, all right? So it's interesting that uh, in, uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 16, uh, in verse uh, 18, 19, and 20, I think it is, where it says, you shall appoint judges and officers in all your towns, which the Lord your God is giving you according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. You shall not distort justice. You shall not be partial. You shall not take a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eye uh, of the wise and perverts the words of the righteous. Justice and only justice you shall pursue, that you may live and possess the land which the Lord your God is, is giving you. Now, in other places, chapter 22 of Deuteronomy and some places in Exodus, there is uh, a rule for what to do, uh, you know, when you have uh, violations of, of people, okay? What's interesting here, though, is that uh, in, Deuteron in Deuteronomy 16.20, where it says justice and only justice, it uses a different word for justice than I think everywhere else. Is the reason I, th I think everywhere else. I can say that in preparation for this message, I read every single word justice but I did scan every single word justice. So I'm going to say I'm pretty sure that the word for justice in Deuteronomy chapter 16 and verse 20 is different from almost everywhere else. All right? Usually the word is mishpat, which basically means judge. judge. That's what it means. Mishpat comes with shafat, right? To judge, right? A judge. Mishpat is judging, <laughs> you know, there shall be uh, uh, justice. The word here, it's tzedek, 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 it says right at the beginning of the verse. Tzedek, tzedek. Well, if you've uh, taken Marcy's uh, Hebrew uh, at MSI, uh, if you've been around the block at Beth Messiah a few times, you know tzedek means righteous, right? Tzedek is a righteous person, you know, in, in modern, uh, not modern, Old modern Hebrew, tzaddik, a righteous person, a righteous uh, man, right? Tzedakah, righteous acts, right? Tzedek, tzedek, righteousness. And so it's, it's, I, I think that's interesting, okay? Uh, that it's telling us, not only does it say it twice to emphasize it, but it is telling us that it is uh, justice when you think of the word justice, justice has to do with relationships with people. We usually don't think of my own personal justice, right? Am I a just person before God? When we say that, you know, usually we're thinking a righteous person before you. Do I have the, you know, the righteousness of the, of, of the Lord? But when we hear the word just or justice, it has to do with proper relationship with, uh, with people. And so it's very interesting because... You read, if you look up all the places where you read the word justice, oftentimes you'll see the word righteousness next to it, right? Righteous justice. Here, it's combining them and saying, in fact, it says righteous justice, a verse or two above, right? But here it is saying that justice is, is righteous. Righteousness is not only our position before God, righteousness is, is the way we relate to other people. 
But the word justice is a great word because in our head, when our minds were thinking justice is the right thing gets done, we'd say the right thing according to God's standard, a right thing according to the character of God, the right thing according to ethical and moral behavior uh, that God lays out, right? So justice, therefore, does not simply mean fair. It doesn't mean getting even. It doesn't mean revenge. If it did, then the Messiah would be coming from the tribe of Simeon or maybe Levi. But that's not happening because justice is not revenge. Justice is not getting even. And justice is not even from whatever we may consider fair. Justice is what's right, what is righteous. And I'm going to tread in some deep water and I'm ready to be corrected perhaps after the service. But in the New Covenant, when we read the word righteous, we're used to, we are, we are conditioned, we are used to righteousness. Righteous means our position before God. It means trusting in Yeshua. It means do I live a holy life, you know? But I'm going to suggest that the emphasis, even there, in the very same way, is that To be righteous is to practice justice, doing what is right ethically and morally in relationship to others. And it's a very interesting way to read the text. For example, imagine if you read Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, and substituted the word justice for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they shall be satisfied. In other words, when we say righteousness here, I'm going to suggest that Yeshua is not necessarily saying your own personal righteousness, but for what is right, you know? Same thing, isn't it so true with faith? Faith, faithfulness, faith is doing the right thing. Read the book of James. Read a good lexicon. (laughs) <laughs> and, and, uh, and you'll understand it. It's not just, in other words, our, what we believe and the way we live is not just in our head, but it, it is so much in the way that we conduct ourselves. Speaking of the Sermon on the Mount, just read it, and you see that the, the, the large portions of it have to do with our relationships with others and the way that we conduct ourselves. In the book of James, in James uh, 1, the last verse, this is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God. By the way, religion, this is the one place it's used in a positive way, okay? This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world, okay? Uh, uh, Clearly, uh, this uh, reminds us of uh, the, the royal law, as James says a few verses later in verse 8 of chapter 2. If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. Okay, That comes from uh, Leviticus chapter 19. Read Leviticus. I'm going to run out of time, so I'm not going to go there. Read it on your own. Leviticus chapter 19, right? It talks all about take care of people who are vulnerable, right? And in fact, 
It doesn't actually, what it says, like I'll just paraphrase the verse about the blind person. Don't put a stumbling block before the blind, but revere the Lord your God. It doesn't say, it doesn't say help, the stumble, help the blind person across the road. It says, revere the Lord your God, because revering the Lord your God is synonymous with doing the right thing, and that's justice. Show justice to that. Take the initiative. Show justice. And so when we take it all back to uh, Genesis chapter 34, clearly uh, Dina is violated. Shechem and Hamor needed to be judged righteously. Jacob does not speak up. The sons get, get it, but they do it the wrong way, right? And so we don't have the Bible version of justice. What is justice then? Certainly uh, in our world is to speak up, is to uh, protect uh, vulnerable people, protect uh, women who have been violated, speak up, do something about it, right? Now, of course, there, there's a million situations in th- that, that arise. And, you know, we all do our best in figuring out, so, okay, how do I speak up? What is the right course of action, right? As an armchair person out there, we might think it's simple and it's black and white. Well, I will tell you, it is never black and white. All right? Uh, and we all do our best. Do we make mistakes? Yes, we do. If we had to do it all over again, would we do things differently? We might. But it's important for us to be sensitive uh, to this and to, uh, and to uh, speak up and do the right thing. And so uh, what does that mean? Certainly, uh, it means holding, uh, holding ourselves and holding people uh, uh, accountable. Uh, we uh, certainly, uh, 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 in our, in, in our uh, community and in the larger community, this is a, this is a very important way of uh, demonstrating uh, what it means to uh, be a Messiah follower. So sometimes uh, we, may, uh, we may feel uh, that we need to act like the because of the, of anger uh, and a feeling of uh, frustration uh, that right things aren't being done. Maybe we take the law into our own hands. We need to ask: Is this how? Is this God's version of righteousness? You know. Now it you know it is uh, it's fascinating when you read uh, through all the scriptures. Uh, on this, and that is that um, uh, I'm just I just finished teaching uh, through the book of Acts, or just about finished teaching in a Bible study, and uh, Paul uses the uh, the fact that he's a Roman citizen, he uses it to his advantage to move his calling forward, and so we need uh, certainly to do the same thing. We need to do the right thing. Sometimes it's necessary to call the authorities. Sometimes you have to speak to somebody. The point is holding people accountable, protecting those uh, who are uh, vulnerable, as James says, as Moses says. And in the case here, in a way, everybody failed 
And that's why at the end, you have this ambiguity. What were we supposed to do? And what we see is that here, among the sons of Israel, they are not immune to the horrors of this world. And that, and that there's going to be even uh, more division uh, among themselves. But, but like I said at the very beginning, what happens right after this? God says to Jacob, keep moving forward. Keep going. Go to Bethel, build an altar to me, and then he receives the name Israel. And so, no matter how bad uh, this may seem in Genesis 34, we have to kind of leaving, leave, leave it a little ambiguous as well. But what we see is, right, uh, you know, 2020 hindsight is a great thing, right? Even for us looking at their situation. You know, we know what Jacob should have done. We know what uh, uh, the Dina's brothers should have done. And we know what Hamor should have done. And nobody does exactly the right thing. And it causes division. And it causes strife. We are thankful that in Messiah Yeshua, we are empowered to have the discernment to be the right people and to do the right thing. You know, Yeshua promised us that, that uh, he would leave us the Ruach, the Ruach to give us wise counsel and wisdom. And he does. Do we always get it right? No, we don't. But we do know that we, uh, that we live, uh, we have been uh, redeemed from the domain of darkness, where people basically do what is right in their own eyes, to the kingdom of his beloved son. And Yeshua is our king. And we live, uh, and so the God of Israel is our king. And we live according to his way, to his standard, not whatever uh, decade it may be uh, in, our, uh, in our culture out here. But we live according to his standard, according to his way. And we do our best to get it right, to keep our eyes open, and to be watching out for anybody who is vulnerable, anybody who is violated, and to certainly do, indeed, the right thing. And we certainly do look forward to the day when all of that will disappear in the olam haba. But while we're living in this world, we don't live in a cocoon. And so how important is it to keep our eyes and ears open and, uh, and to demonstrate what, what does it mean to do right? What does it mean to show justice? It means to follow the Lord, to be on the way of the Lord, and to count the costs, to be filled with the Ruach, to have the wisdom and the power to know uh, what to see and what to do. All right, let's pray. Lord uh, God, uh, thank you, Lord, that, that even in this, uh, in this sad, sad situation, you're still the God of Israel. You are still the, the king of Israel, even here, Lord. Even when it looks like you're, you're not around, but you are. And thank you, Lord, that uh, you move the story forward. And thank you that even in our own lives, no matter where we've been and no matter what has happened, it's not the end of the story. Thank you, Lord, for the redemption and the freedom and the cleansing that we have in Messiah Yeshua. Whether we are walking in the shoes of Dina, the, 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 uh, Jacob, uh, or his sons, uh, Lord, thank you, uh, God, that your forgiveness and your cleansing and your freedom and your redemption and your future, Lord, uh, lies before us. And so, God, we do uh, pray 
that uh, we would be people who are honest with you, confessing our sins uh, and, and receiving forgiveness, uh, and that we would be proactive in our, Lord, in our world and we would be people who not only uh, uh, are proactive in justice, but are proactive in redemption, proactive in redeeming people, Lord, from wherever they may be. Lord, may people see you when they see us. And just as, just as you went after the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son, Lord, we pray for those, who, uh, those today who have been abused and violated. We pray for those who have sinned. We pray, Lord, that there would be redemption, real redemption, and real cleansing, Lord. And uh, may we be uh, proactive in your calling upon our lives to demonstrate that. And we pray in Messiah's name.